What's up? Welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we had on Gabby Goldberg of Bestmer Venture Partners. Bestmer has built up a brand as one of the best software investors in the world, and their portfolio consists of companies like Twilio, Shopify, LinkedIn, Twitch, and DocuSign, just to name a few. Gabby's one of the newest members of the team, and she's already made quite a name for herself within the venture world. In this talk, we discuss how startups can engineer attention in the early days, the playbook for building in public, the need for curation in the age of abundance, and why Gabby believes we're living in the golden era of audio. Before I start this, everybody, I want to apologize. It's super windy where I'm at, but y'all are going to have to deal with me because today we have an awesome guest, Gabby Goldberg from Bessemer. Uh, she's an awesome human being who's really tight with Clay. I'm just now getting to know her, but I'm excited to. And uh, yeah, we'll dive right in. With that, Gabby, you want to take one or two minutes to give us a brief background, tell your story and whatnot, then we can dive into some more questions. Yeah, sure. Thank you guys for having me. So I'm Gabby. I'm an investor at Bestmore Venture Partners, focusing primarily on consumer, but at Bestmore, we look at, you know, every stage and every sector. I came to Bestmore from chapter one, where I was focusing on pre-seed and seed stage investing. Chapter one is a fund run by Jeff Morris based out of LA. So my process, how I came into venture and made that process or made that jump from chapter one to Bestmore is... I study CS and philosophy at Stanford. My junior year is where things started falling into place. Before that, I had very little knowledge about venture capital or or anything relating to it. But my winter quarter of my junior year, I took some time off school and I went to Israel and I was working on a product team there at a startup. And I was enjoying working on the product, but I just felt like at the end of every day, I wanted to look up and see what was going on around me. So just for fun, I ended up meeting a lot of founders and a lot of investors based out of the Tel Aviv startup ecosystem. And one of the people I met was Jordan Odinsky, who's an investor at Ground Up Ventures. And he told me when we got coffee, if you're going to do anything after this conversation, you should make an account on Twitter because that's where all of the early stage founders and VCs are hanging out. And I had never heard that advice before. I was like, you know what, just to make you happy, I'll make a Twitter account. And it ended up being the best advice I've ever gotten because a week later is when the world shut down in March. I got sent home from Israel. I basically lost my job and I also had nothing lined up for a summer internship. And it was on my plane ride home that I saw on Twitter a job posting from Jeff Morris to be a summer associate at Chapter One. And so I applied from my phone on the plane. It was very serendipitous, right place at the right time. I ended up joining Jeff over the summer absolutely fell in love with the world of venture. I told him I didn't want to go back to school, so I kept working with him. And then from there, I got to know the team at Bessemer, and so I joined them about three months ago, and I've been with them ever since. That is beautiful. Sometimes life is just very serendipitous. Yeah. It's, I think what's really interesting is of all the people that we talk to, there's been a few people who come out of banking and did the typical route, but most people come into venture from some random walk in the park, and, and then things just align. And, and life is good from there versus everyone doing these long drawn out processes. So congrats on your path and congrats on landing in such a good, uh, such a great shot. One thing that I really want to talk about that Clay brought up recently is that you do a lot of really great written pieces. And a few of them that we talked about have to do with launch strategies of companies. We'd love to get your thoughts on how startups can engineer 
or engineer attention to what they're building and what are some of your favorite launch strategies? Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned Jordan in my last answer, Jordan from Ground Up Ventures. And the piece on launch strategies, I co-wrote with him and basically we were talking over the summer and I'm sure you guys have heard it too. People called summer 2020, like the summer of test flight, where all of these apps were being launched on test flight. And it was all of these, all of this hype being built around upcoming products and people wanted to try them out and clubhouse launch and all of this was going on. And we were trying to make sense of it all. And we were saying, maybe this is the new normal of how consumer products are being launched. And so we called it the value of a velvet rope. What's the value of cutting off access to these certain things and making it so hard and inaccessible to a larger audience. And it just makes you want that product so much more. And so we were able to figure out a couple strategies that companies and particularly consumer products use to get users for lower acquisition costs than normal. And so one of those is test flight, like I mentioned. Another one is just garnering a really large wait list. And so Clubhouse did that. Hey, the email service did that as well. Superhuman had a super long wait list. Another strategy we saw was utilizing influencers with what we called the blue check phenomenon. And so getting anyone with a blue check mark to co-sign your product <laughs> is a great way to, to get people on it. And so Adam's shoes and, and the Adam's masks as well. We saw people like Alexis Ohanian like co-signing those masks and those shoes and they became super popular. And then another one, which I, I know we're going to talk about later is building in public. And so just giving people insight into what you're building gets people onto it. The last one that we talked about, we called it money bags. And we basically said, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Where basically you just pour a ton of money into marketing for your product. And so we actually saw that crash and burn this summer with Quibi, which was a great example of when the money bag strategy doesn't work so well. <sighs> I was um, ironically it, on the uh, launch team of Quibi. I was working really? with to figure out who the executive would be and it ended up being Meg Whitman. Yeah, I wow. was... Uh, that was a beautiful ride that seemed like the world could be like all ours or not. And it uh, didn't play out well. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a crazy case study to watch unfold. Most definitely. With that, I would love to dive a bit more into the concept of building publicly and which type of entrepreneur should or shouldn't. If you're more seasoned and have the resources and connections versus if you're not and you don't really want to take on too much acquisition costs up front. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So building in public is, you know, certainly not new by any means. I was just commenting on some of the themes that I had seen been really successful, but basically the idea of building in public is really just telling people about what you're doing and sharing that progress, whether it's the ups and downs or kind of anything in between. And maybe one good example there is Austin Allred of Lambda School. Anytime someone from Lambda School gets hired at a startup, he'll post on his Twitter, three people got hired at Amazon today, or you know, four people got hired at Netflix today. And so he's just sharing the ups and downs along the way. Even a couple months ago, he had a new kind of like marketing idea or growth idea, and it got some bad press. It basically just flopped. And he utilized the strategy of building in public to say, hey, we made a mistake and we're going to fix it. And here's what we've learned from the experience. And so I thought that was very admirable as well. I saw actually a couple days ago, I was reading a post and they compared building in public to working with the garage door up. So if you can think in real life, if you're like walking or biking around a city, you can see like the handyman working in his garage with the garage door up. And every day you can walk by and see what he's working on. Or maybe it's like a mom and pop store and the door's always open and you can walk in and see what's going on. And if you think about it, there's not really anything like that online. It's 
basically if you're not talking online, there's no way people can hear about what you're doing and can learn. And if you think of companies who have previously built in stealth or the Twitter accounts, which usually have just posted announcements of finished products, building in public is really talking about everything that happens up until that point. It's, it's your shower thoughts or it's you're thinking out loud of if your project isn't working and all of that process in between. And in my opinion, doing that creates more invested and interested followings over the long term than just only sharing those finished products. You know, that's actually really interesting. For some reason, when you said this, it reminded me of this company called Tandem. I'm not quite mm -hmm. sure if you've looked at Tandem. It's like the, the virtual office. And effectively, you like bring in all your staff and you can see what they're working on in real time if you have access to, to the employee base. And I'm thinking like, what if there was like a platform in which people could quite literally show the entire world what's happening? You could do this over Zoom or you could do this over any other type of platform. But like every time a milestone's hit or see who's working and whatnot, I think that could be pretty dope if anyone's willing to do it. That's a request for startups, for sure. That is, I would actually just love to see it. And it probably will get investors hyped too because they can see that you're actually working and using their money for something good. With that, my, my thought is that a lot of the things that you're speaking on today really put us in a position where there's just like a huge abundance of content, updates, next big things, et cetera, in the world, which, which leads us to a state in which nothing is really curated. You're always overloaded, which a lot of people who come on the podcast say in their world has led them to narrowing down what they look at or even sometimes shutting out the rest of the world for small periods of time. What are your thoughts on curated experiences in a world of abundance today? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I wrote a piece on this called Curators Are the New Creators, and it basically was kind of my revelation of what are we going to do with all of this content going on if something needs to be done about it and basically the thesis of the piece is we're experiencing a huge content overload it's never been easier to create content and share it on the internet and random statistics i'm pulling up from my pieces there are an average of 550 new social media users every minute and over 40,000 search queries on Google every single second. So you can really just think there is so much content being put out into the world and it's becoming harder and harder to find the signal in all of that noise. And as we have more creators, the need becomes greater for curators or people who can disaggregate that signal from noise. And that's why I think curators are the new creators. And there's going to be this whole new market opportunity for people who are curating that signal from the noise and basically being paid or rewarded for their own good taste. Yeah, we totally agree. We actually saw Confluence as a way for us to curate the venture experience, right? Like putting together all the relevant resources in an organized fashion and giving that to people. And then the same thing within the Slack groups and, and, and finding people like you who are actually creating the crop within the space. One thing that we thought about a lot, which we are not certain if we're gonna do or not going forward, and this is way more applicable to anyone else that's like not me and Clay, is how do you properly monetize curation? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the first thing I'll say is the idea of turning curation into a business isn't necessarily anything new. There are a ton of examples. My favorite one is this famous bookstore in Japan, which sells only one book at a time. So obviously it's a curated experience. You come in, they've picked out the book and if you wanna buy it, then that's how they make money. But any bookstore, a vintage store, a store that sells records, like all of these are curated and they're being paid for their own good taste and having a great selection. So 
I guess the first thing I'll say is curation really is nothing new, but in this context that we're talking about, I think the biggest way I've seen curation being monetized in these circles is through a paid newsletter. And so one that I subscribe to is the Everything Bundle and I pay for that curated content. Other opportunities are just blogs or eBooks, consultations or e-commerce stores. Another one that is a little bit outside of my wheelhouse, but I think is really fascinating is this company called Yup. So it's yup.io. And basically it uses cryptocurrency to allow you to build influence and earn money for what you like or what you comment on or what you engage with on the web. And so let's say I have a certain amount of Yup influence and I like a tweet. And then after I like it, all of these other famous people or thought leaders or celebrities who have more influence than I do also like that tweet. That means that I had, you know, some good taste. And so I bet on it before anyone else did. And so I think that's a really cool idea, the future of being paid for your good taste and being able to curate great content wherever you access it. Oh, that's really dope. I just got another, but it, and it looks like it could be awesome just on the concept of free stuff or like getting paid to do uh, what you normally do. It's a company called Lolly. They give you Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies just for, for shopping online and then collecting your data. I think that's a really interesting category. And I never even thought about it from the curation side of things. Yeah. Let's see. I think I got one more because I got to give Clay the spotlight here. He's always the silent assassin. So in your most recent piece, you wrote extensively on why we're living in the golden age of audio. You want to speak on why you believe that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. And so this is a piece I wrote with my partner at Vesmer Talia, and we wrote about what we called, you know, the state of sound in 2020. And so we think audio is special, particularly right now for three reasons. The first one is technological innovation. And so things like natural language processing, speech recognition, and speech to text technology is all reaching a tipping point. Number two is new hardware platforms. And so these things are connected cars, smart speakers, AirPods, all of these kind of voice first interfaces have made us more comfortable with interacting with devices using our voice. And then the last one is new modes of interaction, which I, I would say is my favorite of the three, but essentially these audio first modes of interaction, we think represent the third major platform shift of the past three decades following the internet, the personal computer and the mobile eras. And this shift of voice has increased our familiarity and our comfortability, uh, our comfort with audio. And so that's shown through us talking to Siri and Alexa. It's shown us sending voice memos to our friends. And then particularly one of my favorites is it's us engaging in these social audio apps like Clubhouse and Road Trip and those that slew of social audio apps where we can engage with our friends in an audio first landscape. And we think because of those three reasons, there's a ton of opportunity to innovate in audio. And so some areas we put out a little request for startups. So if any founders are building in the space, definitely reach out. But one of them is the audio creation suite, basically creating tools that make it easier to create audio, create podcasts, share audio with your friends. Number two would be audio for the masses. And so this kind of ties into the curation piece, but we want to make it easier to discover good audio content. So think of maybe like a Netflix for podcasts. You can more easily browse through all of your podcasts and see who's talking about what, or maybe you can search for certain keywords and find them being spoken about in different audio clips. And then the last one is, is voice at work, which I think is huge. And so one, it's people using voice to interact with their coworkers. But then the other one is what are people listening to at work and how do we make that more productive and more easier to use? 
That is awesome. Yo, you actually have just spit enough games where it'd be really sick to get you on one of our Confluence roundtables or on one of our co-author pieces. Imagine if you can write like a co-author piece on the future of audio with the Cultural Leadership Fund who led the round in, who led the round in Clubhouse. We're doing one on ro robotic process automation. We're doing one on FinTech. We'll also do a few in biotech in different subcategories, but we'd love to have you given just how knowledgeable you are on audio. I'd love to, for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely love to dig into it more. Absolutely. And writing these pieces, I found to be the gift that keeps on giving because I'll write a piece and I'll have some ideas about a space or I'll, I'll have ideas about it at a very high level. And then I'll be able to meet so many founders who are building in that space. And I end up learning more than I ever thought I would in that space and would love to write more and selfishly would love to meet other founders building in that space. Cool. Yeah. I think maybe towards the end of Q1 or beginning of Q2, I'll like, I'll message you and we'll start picking the five people who you want to write it with and then we'll put it, put it together. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Clay, I'm tired of you being silent. Give us these quick questions, man. Yeah. Okay. So Gabby, at the end of these, we just do these five questions meant to be answered in two minutes or less we have yet to get them actually answered in two sentences or less but that's like the parameters that we've tried to set so for well, new rule we, new rule though is if you take more than two minutes you got to drop a gem yeah like you got to spit some fire you got to be fire <laughs> so no pressure so first one we have is what is a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice I think is bad advice, take it with a grain of salt. I think bad advice is people who say your 20s don't matter, you can figure it out later, take your time. I think every successful person I know started either planting seeds in their 20s or at least had some form of long range planning to make things work out. So even if you don't know exactly what you want to do, or maybe you're not there yet, I think in your 20s, you should get to work and start planning and the law of compounding interest applies to intelligence and, and success in your 20s as well, in my opinion. Yeah, love it. Totally agree. Next one we have, so in the last year, what new belief, behavior, habit has most improved your life? Okay, this one I can definitely answer in less than two sentences. Long walks. Love it. Lots of long walks. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to set reminders to do more of that myself. I feel like it's so easy to just get stuck in my desk all day and not move. Yeah, so. absolutely. Reclaim.ai is a calendar tool that will put in any time you have a gap in your day in your calendar, they'll start giving you really healthy habits. It tells me when to just randomly go take a walk. Check it out. Oh, I Founder need that. Amazing. Cool. It's a game changer. So next one, aside from having to say no all the time, what's the worst part about venture? I think... The worst part about venture for me is in a very backwards way, it can be a bit lonely where I spend eight hours a day or more talking to founders. But for most of those calls, I'll talk to them once and, and won't get to talk to them again because I either need to say, yes, we want to keep talking with you or say no and basically get out of their way and let them keep building. And sometimes I'll meet a brilliant founder or a founder with an amazing idea and I'd love to dig into it more with them, but I have to remember my job is to give them an answer and then get out of their way. That would be it for me. I think that's really good advice, feedback. I think definitely experienced a little bit of that myself. And I think 
you're starting to see like the emergence of confluence or this community of people. It's like a sign that a lot of people want more of a sense of community, which is a signal yeah. of being lonely. So I think a lot of other people have the same experience. All right, so we got two more here. So a lot that's of this a, that's audience. That's a gym alert, by the way. Yeah, gym alert, that's tag it. Gym. Our job um, is tell them yes or no, and if not, get out of their way so they can keep building and be helpful if we can. Next one. So a lot of this audience skews to more analyst associate types or even those trying to break into VC. What's your best piece of advice for junior VCs or those aspiring to break into venture? Yeah, I said it at the beginning. I'll say it again. Please don't hate me for saying this, but get on <laughs> Twitter won't tell you everything you need to know about venture. It's not going to tell you everything about anything, but it will tell you a lot. And if you don't know where to start, I think Twitter is absolutely the best place to start. You can see what the smartest people in the world are reading and writing, who they're talking to, how they're spending their day. And you can also share your own thoughts there as well. So it's how I got my first job in venture. It's a big reason of how I got my second job in venture and I would recommend it to anyone. Yeah, it's great advice. So last piece here, who is a mentor that you would want to give credit to? Could be more than one. Yeah, I have to say Jeff Morris at chapter one. I say it every time, but it, I really feel like the farther along I get in my career, the more I realize how much he changed my career and how much he really was the catalyst for everything. And I just, I, I cannot believe he bet on me when there really was no reason to. I think it's awesome that early stage venture is all about making those early bets. And he basically did the same thing by taking me on as a summer intern and taught me basically everything I know about venture. And obviously I still have a lot to learn, but he gave me something that is just so rare and so special and I'm so thankful to him and I still think he's one of the best investors in the world so I have to give credit to him he's looking for a chief of staff right now isn't he yeah he is I actually was about to throw that in for a shameless plug he's hiring a chief of staff I think it's a dream job unfortunately now I'm at my dream job and so otherwise <laughs> I'd be leaving to work for him again but I think whoever gets to work for Jeff is going to be super super lucky and obviously reach out if you have any questions. Yeah, we'll make sure to push that out in our next newsletter, link to the application. So hopefully that gets some eyeballs on it at least. But yeah, awesome. I, I think that's all the scheduled question we, we have for you. We're trying to do a better job of allowing guests to ask questions as well. So if you have any questions, we'd love to answer them. If not, don't feel pressured to ask questions. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear you guys. It sounds like you do this gem alert in all of your calls. What have been the gems of the gems or like the best nuggets that you've heard from these conversations? We've gotten that from the last two or three guests. So I've tried to do a better job of going back and cataloging the ones that have made the biggest impact on me. I feel like I'm the one that always answers first. So Tyler, you want to answer first on this? I don't know. I feel like, so I'm going to answer it like very briefly, but I feel like you got to ask us a different question because my answer is going to be like, you got to go listen to the podcast <laughs> or at least read the newsletters or the snippets. But there's been a few, right? Like I think Corinne dropped a ton of them, some around time management, around going out and, and spending a lot more time thinking versus just speaking busy work sake or for coverage sake. I think that's something that I learned to do very well at point 72 when I was doing specific fintech investing and enterprise investing. And now that I've gone to more generalist fun was hard and talking to Corinne helped me uh, dive back into that mindset. 
I think Cheryl Campos dropped some really good gems surrounding just being real and being authentic because a lot of people in this industry fake it and just in life in general fake it. So just be the real thing. Beyond there, there's been a few. Everything from people talking about the other types of values that that celebrities can bring outside of just lowering cat to people talking about the value of ecosystems like Utah and Los Angeles, which have incredibly well-performing funds who a lot of us may or may not know of. Yeah, I think I have a couple, but I think like a couple that have stood out more than some others. I keep returning to Mark Grace at M13. Like we dive, we went through the whole thesis of M13 and how they invest in consumer businesses. And one piece that he made within there was that we live in this open source world. Ideas are a dime a dozen, but like the companies that really get across the finish lines are those that are best at executing. That's applied to a lot of different things, especially in an investing role. That was interesting. Listen to Molly Fowler at Dormer Fund just talk about how Dormer Fund has evolved into this massive curated talent network for not just Dormer Fund themselves, but also first round. Most recently, we're going to release this either tomorrow or later this week, but the most recent guest was Steve Benino at Rosecliff. He came from a hedge fund background. So it's interesting to hear him talk about the difference between top-down and bottoms-up investing and how he tries to decipher noise versus signal because now he's a seed stage investor, which is like a totally different planet than the hedge fund world. Mm-hmm. So it's cool to hear his take on that. But again, I feel like I'm trying to do a better job of just like cataloging all these things because I feel like we're getting so much wisdom from you guys in each of these episodes every single week. So I need to do a better job of, of rounding up all that information so it's quicker to regurgitate when someone asks like you just did. Yeah, those are great. Those are definitely some awesome nuggets and it's just such a powerhouse lineup that you guys have as well. Thank you again. Cool. I really appreciate the time and yeah, this was fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks guys you so much. It. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye. Huge thanks again to Gabby for coming on this week. And we hope that each of you were able to pick up something valuable from this talk. If you're looking to connect with Gabby offline, you can either find her on Twitter at Gabby underscore Goldberg, or you can find her contact info within the Confluence BC directory. For next steps, if you're an investor and have not already signed up to join, we encourage you to check out our website at www.confluence.vc to submit your info to become a member. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to reach out directly either to Tyler at tyler at gpv.com or myself at clay at muckercapital.com. Hope to hear from you all soon.